We're talking about momentum, and if you weren't here last week, I really want to encourage you to go find the podcast. Just a really great day, and I feel like God really helped us um, to, to share some stuff, helped me share some stuff that, that helped a lot of us. We're just talking about momentum and how desperately we need it in our lives, and uh, last night, Andrea had a, a ladies gathering at the house, and so it was my job to get the kids out, and, uh, and so we went and got some dinner and then went over to the House of Boom Jump House on Shelbyville, and you may have seen I posted this video on Facebook, but knowing we were talking about momentum, uh, I saw Solomon, my 20-month-old, you have four kids, we forget, I don't know how, what age he is, but uh, he's somewhere between one and two, and um, they led him into House of Boom. And, uh, and so I had this video posted up. Let me show you this. This is Solomon trying to get to the top of the trampoline. And his sister's just flying by him. Yep, yep, get it. And as I was, wa- I was watching him do this, 15 minutes later, after not quitting, he did get it, which I'm proud of my boy. But as I was watching him do this, I thought about momentum. And I thought about what we're talking about as a church, because I don't know about you, but there have been seasons in my life where it's felt like that. Like my marriage feels like that. I can't get to where I'm trying to go. And, and, and it seems like we keep slipping and falling. My career feels like that. Uh, you know, my relationship with God feels like that. And it feels like everybody else is just like, no problem, just getting to the top, you know, just, just running with no problem. And I keep slipping and falling. And, you know, what Solomon needed is he needed some momentum. He needed to get going a little bit. And, and all of us need that. In our lives, momentum is a, is a powerful, powerful thing. Morgan Freeman, I don't know anybody that doesn't like Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman is one of the biggest actors in Hollywood. He started acting in 1971 with some small roles in soap operas and uh, mainly in public broadcasting shows. And for 18 years, he was pretty much an unknown. But in 1989, he got a role as Hoke. I think I'm saying that right because I've never seen the movie. Uh, the chauffeur in Driving Miss Daisy. Anybody Driving Miss Daisy? I've never seen it, but um, I'm sure it's, sure it's a great movie. Um, so after that, his career began to take off a little bit, but it wasn't until 23 years after starting his acting career in 1994 that he got the role as Red in Shawshank Redemption. Shawshank Redemption, anybody? Okay. If you had cable in the 90s, you've seen Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> At the age of 52, if you haven't seen it, I would encourage you to watch it on TV. Don't rent it. But anyway, um, at the age of 52, Freeman became a, a really a superstar because of that movie. But here's what's crazy about even the movie that is huge is that initially Shawshank Redemption was not a hit. The opening weekend, Shawshank Redemption didn't even make a million dollars, which is, that's bad in the movie world. And total in the theaters, it made $16 million. It cost $25 million to make, so that's a $9 million loss. That's not good. Um, and it didn't really, it had some critical acclaim, but it didn't really resonate with, with the viewers. Three years later, 1997, Ted Turner's company, Turner Broadcasting, buys the rights to it and begins to show it what seemed like every night on TNT. And it became a cult classic And 22 years later, Shawshank Redemption is ranked number one on IMDb of the all-time movie list, okay? Opening weekend, it was a bust. It was a bust. So 34 years after starting his acting career, Morgan Freeman won his first Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor in Million Dollar Baby. Now, I'm sure if you would have asked Morgan Freeman 
If he felt like his career had any momentum the first 17 to 20 years of his life, he would have said no. No, it didn't have any momentum. I'm, I'm acting in soap operas that nobody's watching, and I'm on public broadcasting. I don't know that it's ever going to get any better, but, but here's an important lesson that we can learn from him and so many other people who took longer than they thought to get where they wanted to get to. That just because you don't feel successful, it doesn't mean you're doing the wrong thing. Just because it doesn't feel successful right now, that doesn't mean that you're doing the wrong, the wrong thing. When you don't have momentum, it feels like you have to work twice as hard, like progress will never come. We said last week that when you have momentum, you look better than you are. When you don't have momentum, you're better than you look. It's the difference between weighing 180 pounds on your way up or your way down, right? On your way down, you look good. On your way up, you feel bloated. You know what I mean? It's the same weight. What's the difference? Momentum, momentum. When we don't have momentum in our lives, our marriage, our career, our relationship with God, if we're not careful, we can think that quitting is the answer, doing something different. We need a new spouse, a new job, a, you know, a new faith or belief system. But quitting on what we have is not the answer. Here's what I can promise you today. Celebrating your 50th wedding anniversary will feel better than your third wedding reception. Your, your 50th wedding anniversary will feel better than your fifth bridal shower, all right? Because even though it feels like quitting would be better, fighting and, and getting through the tough seasons, even when you don't have any momentum in your life, the payoff is always greater than quitting and starting over. Seeing your child walk across the graduation stage instead of killing them now, it's better, trust me. Plus, you don't go to jail, so it's, it's a better payoff for you. I want my relationship with God, my marriage, my family, my career to feel like Psalm chapter 1, verse 3. And we shared this verse last week, and we'll share it every week. We're talking about momentum. But Psalm 1, 3 says that person, I'm going to add, that person with momentum is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Anybody you'd like your life to feel like that? I want to feel like a tree planted by water, like I want to have fruit in my life. Like I want to feel like I'm accomplishing something. I don't want to feel like I'm dying or drying up. And whatever I do prospers. That's what I want my life to feel like. That's what a life with momentum, specifically spiritual momentum, feels like. Without spiritual momentum, prayer feels boring. You struggle to focus. Church feels pointless. Feels like a waste of time. Reading your Bible seems impossible. With spiritual momentum, feels like God hears and answers our prayers, like church is alive and replenishing. The Bible actually makes sense and is applicable to our lives. Without marriage momentum, talking turns into fighting. Don't say amen. Uh, every little thing is annoying that they do. It's easier to just avoid each other. You watch TV downstairs, I watch TV upstairs, and we'll just do it that way. With marriage momentum, you actually want to spend time together. It's crazy, right? Like you want to go on trips together. You give the benefit of the doubt. Little things become romantic and exciting. What about career? Without career momentum, it's hard to get out of bed. You think your boss is an idiot. You show up late. You leave early. With career momentum, it's not just a job. It feels like a calling. You feel like you're making a difference. You're willing to do whatever it takes. And so today... 
I want to continue this conversation about momentum. How do we get it if we don't have it? How do we find it if we've lost it? How do we keep it if we have it? How can we have that momentum in all these areas of our life? I, um, I took the kids, took the whole family to, to Waffle House yesterday morning. I just, call it, I just call it taking the kids to see the house I grew up in. And, um, and so I took everybody to Waffle House. And my daughter, Nora, is obsessed with butter, which, I mean, everybody likes butter, but she's obsessed with butter. She would rather have all butter and no syrup. And uh, I told this to the Blessback people yesterday, but we were eating, uh, she was eating her waffle and half of Solomon's waffle, and, and she had it covered with butter, and it was kind of crazy. And so she was, she was done, she, had, she was eating her last waffle, and I go to grab the plate to give it to the waitress, because six at a booth for four is a little crammed. And, um, and as I go to grab the plate and take it away, now there's no food on the plate. I go to take the plate, she's got waffle crammed in her mouth, and she goes, she takes her finger, she swipes all the butter off the plate, sticks it in her mouth. I want life to feel like that right there. I want my spiritual life, my marriage. I mean, I just, I just want it to feel like Nora felt yesterday. And so that's what we're going to talk about. If you had a Bible, phone, whatever, 1 Kings 18. If not, it's going to be up on the screen for you. 1 Kings 18. Start with verse 41. This is what it says. It says, Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go get something to eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. So Ahab went to eat and drink. But Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel and bowed low to the ground and prayed with his face between his knees. Then he said to his servant, go look out toward the sea. The servant went and looked, then returned to Elijah and said, I don't see anything. Seven times Elijah told him to go and look. And finally, the seventh time, his servant told him, I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. I love this. Then Elijah shouted. He was excited about that. Hurry to Ahab and tell him, climb into your chariot and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. And soon the sky was black with clouds and the heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm. So what I want to do today is I want to use this story as a metaphor, kind of a symbolic story about our lives, about momentum and how maybe we could begin to see some rain where it's been dry. We could begin to see a little bit of progress where we've seen no progress. Because Elijah is living in a land and it hasn't rained for three years. It hasn't rained for three years. And so that makes it kind of odd when he goes up to Ahab and he says, Ahab, I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. That's a brave statement because it hasn't rained in, in three years. So what I want to do is I'm going to give you three statements today. I want to encourage you to write this down. You may need it right now. You may need it six months from now. We just believe God's going to help that scrap sheet of paper come to the top of your floorboard in your car, and you'll have these notes. But I want to give you three ideas, three statements from this story that, um, that I believe will help us begin to experience some rain in our lives again. First idea, first thought is this. How it is now is not how it will always be. How it is now is not how it will always be. So this story is symbolic for us this morning, but maybe you say, Jason, no, it's literal for me 
because it's been three years since I've felt any type of progress in my life. It's been three years since my marriage felt alive. It's been three years since I felt like God was with me, since I felt the presence of God. It's been three years since I felt like I was accomplishing anything at my job. So Jason, this isn't just a a metaphor for me. Like this is literal. My life has been dried up for, for three years. And that's what Elijah is living in. He's living in a land that hasn't had rain for three years, but for some reason, he's got this faith. He hadn't said it before this time. So he wasn't walking around in denial for three years, but something on this day, he says to Ahab, he says, I, I know it hasn't rained in three years, but I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. You know, the Bible says faith comes by hearing. And, and, and so there's something about this day even though the reality of his life is that it hasn't rained, something's beginning to change in his heart. Hebrews 11.1 1 says that faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. I love that. It gives us assurance about things that we cannot see. The ability to look past your current circumstance and to see what will be instead of what currently is, that's faith. That's faith. Faith is the ability to hope for or having hope for things that you actually believe will happen even though you can't see it yet. How it is is not how it will always be. I got two kids in diapers. I'm just praying that how it is is not how it will always be. Can, can I get an amen? Like, Jason, just hang in there. It's not always going to be this way. Anybody in here been married 30 years or more? Let me see your hand if you've been married 30 years or more. Okay, yeah. Incredible. So maybe you've been married for less than a year or a year or two or three, and you're struggling, and you say, man, I just don't know if I can do this. Hands just went up. Take them out to dinner and just begin to tell them all your problems. And without being rude, they're probably going to start laughing or smirking a little bit. You know why? Because they've been right where you've been. But you know what they know? How it is now is not how it's always going to be. Because it's, it, it, things have a way of evolving or things have a way of changing. And faith is the ability to say, here's the way it currently is. Ahab hasn't rained in three years. But I, I can hear a, a rainstorm coming. If we're not careful, we spend all of our time talking about how it is, and we never talk about how it's going to be. Now, I'm not one of those kind of, uh, if you just name it, kind of it'll happen kind of guys. I, 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 it's been abused, and so I tend to kind of shy away from that. So I'm not, I'm not one of those guys. So I'm not saying that just because you say it, it will happen. But I am saying that if you don't believe it enough to say it out loud, it probably won't happen. So I'm not saying, and I got, you know, I'm going to win the Powerball. I'm going to win the Powerball. Like, you can say that all you want. Maybe you win. I don't know. But I am saying that if there's something in your life that you say, Jason, I'm trying to have faith, I would encourage you to begin to say it out loud. Say it out loud because if you don't have enough faith to say it out loud, it probably won't, probably won't happen. So look past your current circumstance and begin to say what it is that you have faith for that will happen in your life. I will be debt-free. I will be debt-free. I know that I had like six overdraft fees this month, but I will be debt-free. Listen, I will be clean. I'm going to kick this addiction. I'm going to break free from this habit. 
I know that I'm not clean right now, and I know that every time I think I'm going to get it together, I fall back into it, and that's my current reality, but I'm going to be clean. I'm going to be free. I will be a mom. I know the doctor says it's never going to happen, and I know that I've not been able to get pregnant, but I will be a mom. I will be healed. I know what the doctor said, and I know that he said it won't work, and it's not going to happen, and the test probably, you know, that medicine treatment won't, but I will, I will be healed. I know the current reality says it won't, but I just feel in my heart that there's faith that I will be. My marriage will not end. My kids will not end up this way. We've got to be able to look past our current reality, and I got two more points, and I'm going to get to them in just a second, but I just want I just feel like there's so many of us in the room this morning that feel so dry. We feel such at a dead end and we just don't know if it's ever gonna be any different. The current reality is so intimidating and we've dealt with with pain for so long that we're so cynical. We're so cynical about what could be. I, I just wanna encourage you this morning that how it is now is not how it's always going to be. Listen, You've been praying for your husband to come to church and to get saved for a year, two, three, five. Listen, and you've almost given up hope that he's ever going to show up. Keep saying it out loud. He will be saved. He will show up. God is going to raise up my husband as a mighty man of God. My children will return to the Lord. You got to keep saying it and don't buy into the realist like don't buy into the devil's advocates. Don't buy into the people who just are always, you know, I'm just a realist. I just tell it how it is. That's how, like, you got to block out those voices and you got to attach yourself to some people who will continue to encourage your faith. All right? All right I can keep going, but I got to stop. The how it is now is not how it will always be. Number two, change starts on your knees. Change starts on your knees. So Elijah tells Ahab, It hasn't rained in three years, but call me crazy, but I feel like I hear a rainstorm coming. He goes to the top of the mountain, and the story says that he falls, and he prays, and I love the description it gives, like it's important. He prays with his head between his knees. I can't even get in that position. I'm not flexible enough. I am the least flexible person in the world. So I, I can't even get in that position. But here's the point I want to make is that posture matters sometimes. When you asked her to marry you, how many people know posture mattered? I hope you got down on one knee. When a cop pulls a gun, how many people know posture matters? You know what I mean? And it's, when, when Andrea is trying to talk to me about something important, how many people know posture matters? And so I'm not saying that you always have to pray with your head between your knees. I've never prayed with my head between my knees. But I am saying that there are moments in our lives when it's been so dry for so long that we can't just say like, well, God, you know what I need. And so I'm just going to leave it with you. Like we, so there are times when we're so desperate, we got to pray desperate prayers. And when you pray desperate prayers, you have kind of a, a desperate posture about you. And so there have been seasons in my life where, like, I've prayed, but then there have been seasons in my life where I have prayed. You know what I mean? And, and I just get, a, I get the sense in this story about Elijah that, that he's not just praying, like, the way he prays before his meal. He's praying with his head between his knees. And I just get the sense he's not getting up until it rains. He's not, he's not getting up until it rains. Elijah's not the only one in the Bible who 
who did this. You know, Jesus started his ministry by 40 days of, of prayer and fasting. Moses, after he got Israel out of Egypt, went up on the mountain, spent 40 days up there, came down, got ticked off, went back up, spent 40 more days <laughs> praying, fasting. The disciples met in the upper room for prayer before the day of Pentecost ever happened for, for a while. And so my point is, is that you, you got to pray your way to momentum. Like some of you in here, you feel so stuck. And you're like, well, I'm just waiting on God. And I'm not saying that we don't wait. The Bible says you wait upon the Lord. I get that. But like, there are some times when you, you just got to pray your way to momentum. You say, Jason, I struggle to pray, you know, five, ten minutes a day, and I get that. So pray until you get distracted, and then start praying again, and then go, you know, turn the oven off, and then start praying again. I was reading a, a book recently about a guy who hired a Navy SEAL to come live with him for 30 days and train him. And so the Navy SEAL showed up at his door the first day. He knocked on the door. He walked in. He didn't say hey or anything. He said, where's the gym? The guy said, in the basement. He said, let's go down to the basement. The guy had, a, had all these nice weights, expensive weights, but over in the corner he had a pull-up bar that, you know, you stick in between the two door frames. The Navy SEAL walked right over to the door frame and he said, how many pull-ups can you do? What's your max? Like, how many could you do? And the guy's like, I don't know, like seven? I could probably do about seven. He's like, let me see. So he said he, he jumps up and he does one, he does two, he does three, gets to five or six, and you know how it is. I mean, he just pulls until he gets to seven. He feels so accomplished. He drops down, and Navy SEAL says, congratulations. We're not leaving here until you do 100. He said, sir, I, I can't do 100. He said, I don't care how many times you stop. You can do them one at a time if you want to, but we're not leaving here until you do 100. He said it took him three hours. He, he would jump up there, and he would do one. He'd fall down on the ground. He'd wait 30, 40 seconds. He'd jump up. He'd do one more. He did it one at a time. Until he did a hundred. Maybe that's how you got to start praying in your life. I prayed for an hour. It was, you know, it was 600 five-second prayers, but I did it for an hour. You know, it was still an hour. You know, I repeated myself a hundred times, but you know what? It was still, it was still an hour. Your life will only go as far as your prayers take you. I hope you're writing down some prayers. I hope you got them stashed somewhere. I hope you know what you're believing God for. Are you believing God for anything? Are you hoping for anything? Do you have faith for anything in your life? Have you just accepted the reality that it's not gonna rain? Do you pray more than you complain about your current situation? Do you pray more than you complain? Are you praying big prayers? What about this? Are you praying any prayers that help anybody else besides you? So if God answered all the prayers you were praying, would it help anybody besides you? Because change starts on your knees. And so Elijah's praying. And probably like me, like the first week of a diet, you know, he's probably thinking like this is going to happen pretty quickly. And he sends his servant. And his servant's like, nothing. He keeps praying. Go check again. Nothing. Go check again. Nothing. Go check again. Nothing. Go check again, like, Elijah, it hasn't rained in three years. I've checked five times. It's not going to happen, man. Like, I'm not trying to discourage you, but, like, you, did, you don't know what you were hearing. That was not right. Go check again, six times, nothing. He keeps praying. Nothing's changed. He's still on his face with his head between his knees. He's still praying, and he says, go back. And the seventh time, the servant comes back, and I'm reading a little bit in a tone here. 
But I get the sense that the servant comes back and he's not that excited. The servant comes back and he's like, I mean, I did see something. I mean, I did see, um, you know, a cloud the size of man's. I don't have man's hands. I got really tiny hands. But let's just say for a second it's bigger than this. It's like when I held it up, like I, I did see a cloud the size of a, of a man's hand. And I love the next three words. It says, then Elijah shouted. I love that. I love that, that, that there was an opportunity for him to not be impressed, but that's not his frame of mind. Because he's praying and, and, and he's praying and believing and, and desperately wanting God to do something. And so when he sees the slimmest, smallest ounce of progress, he celebrates it. He celebrates it. That's point number three. Number three, don't underestimate small beginnings. Almost said, don't underestimate small clouds, but that won't make sense in six months. So don't underestimate small beginnings. It's just a cloud the size of a man's hand. It's not a rain cloud. It's just a cloud the size of a man's hand. The Bible says, finally, the seventh time. Say, Jason, I've invited my husband to church like 20 times. What if it's finally the 21st time? Jason, I've tried to get clean a hundred times. What if finally the hundred and first time? It says finally the seventh time. Zechariah 4.10, I love it. I've used it a bunch lately, so you, you know it. Do not despise these small beginnings. That's good, but I love the second part. For the Lord loves to see the work begin. Don't, don't get discouraged about small clouds. Don't get frustrated with small clouds because God is a starter. God is a, God is a God who likes to get things going. And it has to change a little bit before it changes a lot. Whatever your current reality is, it's got to change a little bit before it changes a lot. You ever had a friend who lost a ton of weight and you didn't realize it until one day you saw them and it was like, whoa, you've lost like 25 pounds. And they were losing it all along the way, but it just took a little bit of time for you to notice it. It changes a little bit before it changes a lot. And I love that it says, it says that, um, that soon, it says, and soon the sky was black. I love when the Bible puts words in there that we read like it's no big deal. But if it hadn't rained for three years and you were living there, there's nothing soon about the rainstorm that's happening. Joseph was in prison for 12 years when he didn't do anything wrong before he's waiting to go see Pharaoh and somebody was supposed to remember, but then they forgot, so it's three more years. And the Bible says, at once they brought Joseph and cleaned him up. I can guarantee you there was nothing about that moment that felt at once to Joseph, nothing. So wherever you are in your life and whatever you're feeling or facing or feeling like will never change, and you're just waiting on kind of those at, at once, soon type of all of a sudden, it's going to happen type things. It's probably not going to feel that way to you because you're living in the middle of the drought. But I want to encourage you to celebrate small clouds. Listen, you're not debt free, but you didn't bounce any checks this month. That's the win. Hey, listen, you're, you're, your marriage isn't, Totally okay yet, but y'all didn't fight today. And I know it's not Hawaii, but you didn't fight today. 
It's just a small cloud. I know you don't feel like you're free from addiction yet, but you didn't get high this weekend. And that's 72 hours more than you've ever gone before. So it's not much. It's just a small beginning. It's just a, it's just a small thing. But it's something. You ain't got your whole faith together yet, but you've been to church two weeks in a row. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. So whatever you're looking at or facing or feeling, you say, Jason, just isn't that different. I would encourage you to just take a moment and kind of just take inventory of your life and see if anywhere in there you can just spot a small cloud. I mean, anywhere in there over these last three years, 10 years, 20 years, is there anywhere in there where God has sent you just a small cloud, but because you were waiting on a rainstorm, you missed it, you didn't see it? I love the way this story ends. It says, and soon, which we already talked about, the sky was black with clouds and a heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm. I love that description. A terrific rainstorm. And that's been my prayer for you as I've thought about this message leading into this week and really just thinking about this series in general. Because I know that so many of you today are feeling like you're living in a drought. I know that so many of you today are feeling like it's going nowhere. The sin won't, you know, you're still addicted. The marriage isn't fixed. The career's going nowhere. You haven't felt the presence of God in your life in so long. And you're saying, Jason, I'm living in this drought. And I just don't think it's ever going to get any better. I've just been praying for you this week that God would just send you a terrific rainstorm. Just a, just a, just a, one of those, oh my goodness, the house is going to blow away. Terrific, terrific rainstorms. I checked the weather this week. It's supposed to rain and storm Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And so my prayer for you this week is that the next time you hear thunder and lightning outside, that something in your spirit would just begin to pray to God, God, that's what I want. That, that's what I want, God. The, nec the next time it just starts pouring buckets and you look outside of your office window, I, I just pray that God would help you remember this moment and you'd begin to pray, God, that's what I want. I need that in my life, God. You know, we sing worship songs about rain. In the Bible, the water represents the spirit of God. So when we sing songs like our praise goes up, your rain comes down or any number of songs that we sing about rain, what we're saying is like the presence of God, the spirit of God coming into our lives, coming into our lives. And so we're gonna pray in just a second. I wanna pray for every marriage and career and heart that's struggling today. But how you feel right now is not how it's always gonna feel. And I really believe if you and I committed ourselves to, to saying out loud those things that we're having faith for, praying with desperation in our voice and in our heart for what it is that we need to see changed and begin to worship and celebrate and thank God for the small clouds in our life. I believe with all of my heart, we'll see momentum begin to take form in our lives. We'll see a restart. Dreams will come back to life. Things will begin to come together. Like Solomon, you're gonna to get to the top of that trampoline. You're gonna get there. Let's pray.